Amen. Well, hey, take out your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 14. I'll give you just a moment uh, to turn there with me. John chapter 14. Actually, we're going to be in all John 14, 15, and 16 today. So go ahead and find your spot there. And uh, you say three chapters. Well, on Wednesday night, a couple weeks back, I let them out about 15 minutes early. So I'm just cashing in my time for this morning, all right? No, I'm just kidding. This morning, John chapter 14, we're not going to be in every verse, but I'm going to hit the high points for us as we're beginning a new series this morning on the Holy Spirit. And as we're embarking on this study today, it reminds me of what Paul said to us in the New Testament. He says, now concerning matters of the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. It reminds me of a story I heard this past week of a girl, a little girl who had attended a Baptist church for the very first time. And she was so fascinated by the way that they baptized people and what they were doing on that particular Sunday morning. And she she goes home and and she decides she's going to get all of her little dolls together and she takes them up to the bathtub. And her mom started hearing this water running upstairs. And so her mom made her way upstairs to see what was happening with her daughter. And she sees her daughter there. And at the side of the tub, she has all the dolls lined up. And With all sincerity, she'd look up into the sky and she'd say, in the name of the Father and the Son and into the hole you go. And then she'd put it down. (laughs) And it's like, man, what confusion exists among the Spirit of God. And certainly isn't there great confusion in the church today regarding who the Holy Spirit is? As I thought about this, this is something God impressed upon my heart almost two years ago to take our church through a series on the Holy Spirit and just a couple weeks ago, God just gave me the green light. He said, now's the time to, to preach it. Children aren't the only people that are confused about the Holy Spirit, you know. I'd say whatever upbringing you came from, your understanding about the Holy Spirit's been largely shaped and influenced by both your tradition, the things that you've seen and experienced, and the people who taught it to you. And yet I would say for many of us, and certainly when we look out in the world today, it would seem that the experiences of our tradition, the teaching that we've been handed down concerning the Holy Spirit, certainly doesn't seem to line up with what God's Word says about the matter. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person. Can you say that with me this morning? He is a person. Will you say that? He is a person. We... We affirm what the Bible teaches, the Spirit of God is a person. And yet oftentimes, I say this would be true, in theological circles today, our understanding about the Spirit of God has often been uh, adopted by one of two kind of extremes in Christian circles. The first would be um, really the extreme of the hyper-charismatic movement. How many of you have heard of the charismatic movement? Can I see your hand? Many of us are completely unaware with how much of our understanding within the church, particularly in the West, has been influenced and shaped, and could I even say hijacked, by the bad teaching that came out of the charismatic movement. And it's certainly not impacted just one denomination. I think for many of us, when we think about charismatic movement, we think about the Pentecostal church. But I would argue that the charismatic movement has not just influenced one denomination. I think it's affected them all. And when you begin to think about how much of our understanding of the Spirit of God has been influenced by this movement, 
You know, in some circles, they see it simply as a renewal or a reviving work in the church, while others see uh, certain gifts or prophecies or things that are more to be evidences of the Spirit at work. I was just kind of curious this, this morning, as we kind of enter into a study on the Holy Spirit, I'd like to kind of survey the landscape and see where you're at today. And so uh, just honesty in church this morning, all right? No, you do not get a bad gray, all right? Honesty in church this morning, though, how many of you believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are in full operation in the church today? Would you hold up your hand? How many of you believe all the gifts of the Spirit are in full operation? Hold it up high, like you, like you believe that. Hold it up. All right, look at that. Now, how many of you believe, not all of them, but maybe certain ones have ceased and there are some gifts of the Spirit at work in the church today, but maybe not all of them. Can I see your hands? All right. How many of you are just too scared to vote? You want to see what I'm going to say about it this morning before you vote? Well, I'm not going to tell you what I think just yet. Because I certainly don't want to enter into that. Sadly, the ironic thing in this whole thing is that the Spirit of God was given to the church to unite the church of Jesus Christ. And isn't it an irony when you see what's happening in the church today and there's so much division that has come from discussion about the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. But I'll tell you this, what I believe. I believe it is impossible to be a Bible-believing Christian, to experience the Christian life, to understand the Bible, to understand the nature of the church and all these things without a clear understanding of who the Spirit of God is, His person and His work in each of our lives. And so, you know, on the one extreme, we've certainly seen the hyper-charismatic movement and all the things that have come out of that. But I think on the reverse, certainly we would see other camps of theology that for them, the, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not even referred to as a person. I mean, they might have their ducks in a row in terms of their theology, but it's really just doctrine to them. I would say if on one extreme you see the charismatic movement, on the other extreme, it's as if the Spirit of God's completely forgotten. It's like a doctrine that we learn in theology class, but it's certainly not a lived experience. He's God, but kind of only in theory. You know, like when we got to start explaining the Trinity, then we bring out the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and we say, well, this is how it really works, but largely forgotten. Barna Pohl, get this, Barna Pohl did a survey back in 2009 over a decade ago, asking 1,800 self-described Christians. They're not polling the mass United States. They're polling 1,800 self-described Christians about their perception of God. Get what the study found out. Over six out of 10 self-identified born-again Christians, six out of 10, contend that the Holy Spirit is not a real living being but is merely a symbol of God's power, his presence, his unity. I read that statistic and I said to myself, no wonder we see the powerless state of the church in America today. We're living as if God doesn't exist. We're living as if the spirit of God doesn't exist. We've denied who he is. And in doing so, we failed to live and experience who he is. And I wonder this morning, you, as you've come into our study together for the first time, this morning on this new topic of the Holy Spirit, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Because I'm telling you, the Bible does not teach that he is simply an agent or an influence or an energy, but he is the person, God. He is God, and he is a person. 
The Holy Spirit is not just emotionalism or enthusiasm. Sometimes people will listen to a song and they say, man, I caught the Spirit. You know what they're saying? Or I just need more of your Spirit. It's like, how can you have more of a person? You know, it's like if you were to invite me over for dinner today, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? And I come to sit at your house and enjoy it. I'm just kidding, I gotta hit the road, I can't today. And, and I, hit, I come over to your house and you say, man, it's really nice that you're here, Aaron, but I'd really like to have a little more Aaron. I'm like, this is all you got, right? You can't get more in terms of as, but that's how, we, that's how we talk in terms of the Spirit of God, that He is some energy, some mystic force that somehow I need to have more of than what I do now. But the Spirit is a person. He is a person and He is God. So this morning, what are we going to consider from John chapter 14 about the Holy Spirit? If you're honest, I think you would agree with me that in America, evangelical Christianity here in the West, there's been a tremendous neglect in the church about the Holy Spirit. And you know the repercussions of that? The repercussions of that in the American church have led to innumerable spiritual defeats. Because we've denied that God exists. And that he lives in me. And that he can live in you. And if we believe that, wouldn't it so radically shape the way that we live our life? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we've come in this time right now with a heart that needs to hear your truth. Lord, I pray that you would pull me aside, Lord, from even of who empty me of myself this morning. That Father, you would fill me afresh with your spirit, Lord, this morning, that your word would be proclaimed, that, Lord, as we've opened your word, we wouldn't just hear the voice of a man, but, God, we would hear your spirit alive and working in our hearts. Lord, we know that you're going to do a great work this morning, and so by faith, Lord, we thank you uh, for what you are going to do here, and we ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. John 14, you've opened your Bible there. Look down in the pages there and just get a glossary of what is happening. This is Jesus really a few hours before he's going to go to the cross. He's addressing, by this moment in John 14, Judas had left. The, Satan had entered into his heart to, to betray Christ and Satan, uh, uh, Judas leaves. And Jesus is now addressing the 11. And he's really trying to prepare them for the ultimate shock of what was going to happen in just a few short hours in both his his arrest and his beatings and his false uh, trial and ultimately his death on a cross. And in just a few moments earlier in John 14, literally just seconds before this, Jesus had told his disciples this bombshell of a statement. He said, I am going away. And I'm telling you, when Jesus said those words... Instantly, put yourself in disciple shoes for just a second. Are you there? You're there? Jesus, you had just given years of your life in following Jesus. You had left your job. You had forsaken everything to follow him, believing that Jesus is the Messiah and he was going to set up his messianic kingdom and you were going to help usher it in. And, and I mean, you were so convinced of these things. 
And instantly Jesus says, I'm going away. And can you imagine the anxiety and the fear that instantly just filled their heart? And, and we're certainly asking, what is the whole group thinking? You know, what are they saying about this? And, and thankfully, we don't have to wonder. The Bible tells us what the disciples were thinking as they express their concern to Jesus. Notice, if you have a Bible, look down in John 14. Notice what the first disciple says, Thomas there. Look at verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, I mean, Thomas is all wrapped up about the future, man. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I mean, can you hear the tremble in his voice? Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And Thomas is like, Lord, ah, where are you going? How, how are we going to get there? You know, like if, if Thomas was with us today, he would be the guy when we go take a trip as a group, he would have the whole itinerary listed out. You know, he would have copies of the routes because he knows that Google Maps are going to fail him, you know. And, and, and he was so concerned about the future. Maybe that's you this morning in your life today. There's some things really present that you're a little anxious about, about the future. You know what Jesus told Thomas? He kind of is to relieve his anxiety. He says, Thomas, I am what? I'm the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, you don't have to figure it out. It's me. I'm the way. And then, like, as soon as Thomas finished, you know, like, Philip throws up his argument on the table. And he's like, wait, 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 Jesus, Jesus. He, you see, he wasn't just concerned about the future. For, for, for Philip, he was concerned about what? About the here and now. He's like, Lord, don't really worry about where you're going. How about we just deal with something really needed right now? How about you show us the Father? That's what he says. Look down your Bible at verse 8. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. It's like, fine, Jesus, you're going to leave, you're going, and we don't even know how to get to where you're going. Then, like, please just, like, reveal to us the Father, and that'll be enough. He was really wrapped up in the concerns of the here and now. And I, I think maybe that would be some of us this morning as we're gathered around, you know, disciple table together. And you're really concerned about the, the here and the now, the anxieties of the moment. Well, Jesus gently... And lovingly, notice what he says to Philip, verse 9. He just reminds Philip of who he is. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And I mean, Jesus says that. Now, come on, picture yourself. You're there with the disciples, and picture what they've given up at this moment. They have given up jobs and livelihood. They have given up friendships. Some of them have left family. And can you imagine how shell-shocked they must have been when the bomb goes off in their lap that Jesus is about to leave them? And instantly in their mind's eye, they're running through all the memories they're thinking about Jesus being with them on the boat and Jesus being with them in the multitude and Jesus being with them in the temple and Jesus being with them there in the, in, 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 the, in the upper room. And they think about all these moments that Jesus was with them and now Jesus is leaving. Could you imagine how that tore their heart apart? And notice... Jesus said in John 13, flip back in your Bible if you have to, look in John 13, verse 33, Jesus is leaving them, and notice what he says to his disciples, John 13, 33, it's not overhead, but you can find it in your Bible, 
Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. <laughs> Time out. Wait a minute. You know, all the disciples are saying that, right? Wait. <laughs> oh, 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 you said we could give up everything and follow you, and now you're saying where you're going, I cannot come? Can you picture the disciples? You know, we don't have to wonder because we can see the frustration in Peter. Just, just look at Peter's frustration. Look at John 13, verse 36. Notice what Peter said to him. I, as I read this, I sense a tone in Peter that is not so much asking the question as he's like making a statement. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow now? <laughs> you see what he says? I will lay down my life for you. Like, he's like, I'm ready to go. Like, you've said this, I'm in. But you know what the disciples failed to understand in that moment? Here's, what they, here's the massive truth of what they failed to grasp. They failed to recognize that Jesus was saying these things. Because in just a few hours, he was providing the way by which they could enter into the secret that was his whole earthly ministry. And that was the power of the Spirit of God alive and at work in his life. You watch the Gospels and notice how many times Jesus did something not of his own power, but of God's power through the work of the Spirit of God. And what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand was he had to go to the cross. Because in going to the cross, not only was he atoning for sin, but he was making it possible for man to be made right with God and for God to have an indwelling relationship with you and I. And Jesus knew that was not possible unless he went away. They didn't get it. And I'm telling you, I think the same thing is true of us. We don't get it. We don't get what the Spirit of God, who He is, and what He can do in each of our lives. But that's what Jesus came to make possible. You notice there, beginning in John 16, what does Jesus say? He, he says, and I will ask the Father, John 14, verse 16, look in your Bible, I will ask the Father and He will give another helper to be with you for how long? Someone tell me, for how long? Forever. Say that with me. Forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But Jesus says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, Jesus right here, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's about to teach these men a truth that is going to change their life forever. He's going to teach them what it means for the spirit of God to indwell our lives. And it'll be that truth, that promise that will sustain them, that will keep them, that will guard them, that will fill them and empower them with joy for the work that God had for them. That no matter what the world might be able to throw against them, and certainly it would try, these men would remain faithful to Christ because of the Spirit of God and His power at work in their life. So this morning, I know the time, but I want to share with you just two simple points of who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does. Notice who is the Spirit of God, beginning in verse 16 of John 14, I'll ask the Father, Jesus said he's going to give you another helper. Those are important words, another helper. Would you say that with me this morning? Another helper. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that this morning. Another helper. What does that mean? Those are two profound words what Jesus is telling them. 
First, another. There are two words in Greek that mean another. One is another of a different kind, and another word is another of the same kind. Guess what word Jesus uses here? The same kind. Like, identically the same kind. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. He is completely necessary and essential to live the Christian life. The Bible teaches us that he is co-equal with God and with God the Father and God the Son. There's a number of things about the Holy Spirit that we reject, and I hope that you reject these. The one thing that we reject as a church and the the really heresies in the church is we we reject tritheism. What is that? It's, it's actually the teaching of Mormonism. It's the teaching that there are three distinct beings and three separate gods. The Bible abandons that. The Bible teaches that there is this complete unity within the Godhead. We reject modalism. What is that? It's this idea that God has manifested himself in different ways by different persons. And so, you know, there are some that say, you know, it's like, God manifests himself in these different roles. And so God comes as a father, then he comes as a son, and then he comes as a spirit. It's like he wore the mask of Holy Spirit, and now I put on the mask of son, and that's not what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible teach? We affirm what the saints of old have affirmed, that God is one in essence and three in persons. Someone has once said, describing the Trinity, they put it this way, try to explain it and you'll lose your mind, but try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. Listen, I don't believe the Trinity because I can understand it. (laughs) I remember being in seminary where they tried to get us to understand it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. You know why I believe it? Because God revealed it. I believe it because the Bible reveals it. God said he, Jesus, God the Son said he would send another of the exact same kind. Who is a what? Another what? Helper. That helper is the Greek word. It, it, it carries this idea of somebody who stands beside you, somebody who speaks for you. Probably the best word we can come up with is in our English language is the word advocate. He is our advocate our comforter, our counselor. Listen to all the names the Bible uses to describe the Spirit of God. It refers to him as our teacher, the comforter, the counselor, God the Spirit, the seven spirits of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of the Lord. But he is our advocate, somebody who speaks up for another. Morgan right now is working with refugees. You know what she has the tremendous power and responsibility to do? She's able to walk alongside people that are going through a season in life that is rather challenging. And you know what she's able to do? She's able to be their advocate. That's why our church is excited about sending her out and the work that God has for her. Because, because, because she's going to come alongside people and speak on behalf of them for what they need. And the Bible says the Spirit of God does that in our lives. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. Who is the Spirit of God? Well, He is a person. And He is God. But then secondly, what does the Spirit do? Wow. We're going to be here for about five or six weeks just unpacking what the Spirit of God does. But can I share with you just three things that Jesus simply showed the disciples in the upper room that night of what the, what the Holy Spirit would do for them? 
In the midst of their fears, in the midst of their anxieties, in the midst of all that they were facing, Jesus told them three things about the Holy Spirit in this passage. Notice what does he teach them? First one is this, the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin. Look down your Bible in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, find verse 7. Notice what Jesus says. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your, what's the next word? Say it louder, it is to, look overhead, it is to your what? Advantage, Jesus said, that I go away. <laughs> Some of us would be like, wait, oh, time out. Once again, I'd really love to have Jesus right beside me. I think Jesus could probably fix a lot of my problems in my life today if he was just literally physically here. I mean, just go look at the Gospels. Look at how Jesus radically changed people's lives. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, no, no. It is for your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he comes, notice what will he do? First, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit of God convicts us of sin. I wonder this morning, this morning, has the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin? How many of you remember the day you came to know Christ as your Savior? Can I see your hand? How do you remember before you made that decision, the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin? Can I see your hand? This is what the Spirit of God does. Isn't that what he, Jesus told a man one night named Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He was a religious leader. He comes to Jesus by night. He was all concerned about eternal life and these things, but, but Jesus told him something that night. He said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, You'll never enter into, you'll never see the kingdom of God. He said, you must be born not of only water, but also of what? The spirit. You all were born physically. I'm looking at physical human beings. You had a mom. Someone birthed you. Had a physical birth. But Jesus said, in order to enter in heaven and experience the kingdom of God, I have to have a what? I have a spiritual birth. The spirit of God convicts men of sin. It's what he does. Romans says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Not only does he convict men of sin, but notice what Jesus told him also in, in chapter 14. Look down at verse 25. He convicts men of sin, but he illuminates God's truth. Notice what he says in verse 25. Jesus said, These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you, Jesus said, all things and bring to your mind remembrance, all things that I've said to you. You see, what does the Spirit of God do? Here's, here's the thing. The Spirit of God is constantly working in the lives of people, drawing them to Christ. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God does what? Draws them. Unless the Spirit of God draws men to Christ. And then when we are saved and have come to know the Lord as our Savior, the Spirit of God takes no glory for himself. He constantly points back in our life to the truth of God's word, to the truth that is in Jesus. I'm telling you, some of us are living such defeated lives in this room this morning because we are holding on so deeply to a lie that we've told ourselves. We've built a false assumption about God or a false assumption about ourselves, and we're living under a lie and it's not true and whatever you're trying to do in life to somehow make it work, you find yourself falling apart because you know that it is not true. 
And the Spirit of God illuminates our eyes, our minds. He convicts us of sin. He illuminates truth. But the final thing that Jesus wanted these men to know, and he so much wanted them to know, that it was the Spirit of God who indwells us. The Spirit of God indwells God's children. Jesus says, I'm going away, but it's your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send another. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's not going to leave you as an orphan. Can I, can I tell you, as we wrap up this morning, there are so many spiritual realities as a Christian that you and I fail to experience. And you know the reason why we experience them? Do you know why we experience them? Why we fail to experience them? Why do we fail to experience the abundant life that Christ would have for us? Someone tell me. Come on. We what? Yeah, there's a lack of belief. We've been given it, but we don't believe it. Just a couple months ago, we had a pastor appreciation day and um, our church gave me a number of gift cards that I could use. They gave them to me. This is a gift card right here to, to zone. Any of you like to zone pizza over in Daleville? Oh, now you're really hungry if you weren't hungry now. And, and, and they gave me this gift card. And, and you know what, do, you know what I, do you know what I believe is on it? Do you know what I believe is on it? Someone tell me, what do I believe is on it? Money. Like, you didn't just hand me a piece of plastic, all right? That would be cruel, wouldn't it? Like, give the pastor a gift card, he buys this nice meal, and he goes to swipe it, and it's like, uh, no, no. But, but I believe that there's what on it? I believe there's money on it. I believe that there's, there's resources. There's things that are mine. There's a pizza that has my name on it at Tizone. But you know what I have to do? I got to use it. And the same is true of the Spirit of God in our life. Jesus said he is the guarantee of our salvation. The moment you come to know Christ, this pales in comparison to who the Spirit of God is. But when the Spirit of God is in our life, we receive that gift. The Bible says we're adopted as sons and all, all the inheritance of Christ is what? It's ours. Because He would call me a son. He would adopt me as His own. And now He's given me all these resources that are mine in Christ. But do you know how many of us end up living our Christian life We go out to eat on our own. When the bill comes, you know, we say, I'll, I'll pay for it. <laughs> I'll pay for it. But man, what spiritual realities in the life of a Christian could be ours? How much more could you and I live the abundant life that Christ is calling us to? And we don't. You know why we don't? Because of ignorance. We don't believe it. I don't know what you need this morning, but I, I'm pretty certain one of those three things are true in your life this morning. Maybe this morning you need convicted of sin. And you're pressing hard against your own way. You're trying to carve out your own path and you're walking contrary to the life that God would have for you. And this morning the Spirit of God is convicting you. I'm not convicting you, but the Spirit of God right now in your heart, if you're a child of God, is convicting you of something that's not right in your life that you need to forsake and turn to Christ for. Maybe this morning, for you, 
It's not just the conviction of sin, but, but you've lived life in a false assumption of who God is. And this morning, the Spirit of God just wants to shatter your idol. And He wants to show you afresh and anew who God is and illuminate truth that is yours in Christ. Or maybe this morning, you're just in need of God's comfort. And you fail to recognize that probably the greatest thing that could happen in my life today if, is if I was just a little bit more aware of the power of the Spirit of God that is dwelling in my life. And you know what, this morning, if you're here and you're like, Aaron, I don't even have any of those things because I'm not a child of God, the good news is today could be a day of salvation for you. So why don't we just leave our self-reliant efforts this morning and why don't we come humbly to what God wants to do in our life and receive it and believe it. And let it not be intellectual, but experience it. Would you pray with me this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, we're going to give opportunity here in just a moment for you to come forward and respond in what God's doing in your life. There are a lot of prayer cards up here. People have asked for us to pray for them. Maybe God's leading you this morning to pray for one of them. But maybe more than that, God's just burdening your heart with something this morning and you need to come down front. Not that this is symbolic by any means, but you just need to make some things right with God. You need to experience the power of the Spirit of God afresh and anew in your life. And either because of disbelief or either because of sin, you've grieved and quenched the Spirit of God. And this morning, God just wants to do something profound in your life today. But it'll take you responding to it, following in what the Spirit of God's impressing on your heart to do today. Jessica's going to begin to play. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, the invitation is open for you to respond to what God's doing. Father, thank you for how you've worked in our hearts this morning. Thank you for the Spirit of God that, Lord, makes us aware of your presence in our life because you're dwelling in our life. Lord, my prayer is this morning for those that are here that, Lord, are in the, just the pit of sin and, God, they need forgiveness. Maybe they're believing a lie and today they need your truth. Or maybe yet today, God, they just need your comfort and the awareness of your presence because you're dwelling in their life. Lord, whatever the need is this morning, we know that you are more than capable to meet that need. And so, Lord, in this time, we, we recognize that we need you. Lord, we need your spirit. And we pray that you would do a work in our hearts today that cannot come from a pastor or from a message, but, Lord, only that can come by the spirit of God. And so we ask for you to do these things for your glory, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said?